This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonisation and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Hey, hey, welcome back to Ospol Snackpod, the podcast. It is kind of like a steak. It ranges from well done to medium. That's right. It's the show where two of Australia's foremost political nobodies bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian news and politics with plenty of memes. And we're also the official podcast of the Ospol Shit Posting Facebook group. So if you like seeing memes and occasionally even some discourse, head on over there and uh, smash that join button. My name is Noon, and with me, as he is every week, is my co-host. Hey, what's up? It's me, it's Zach Snack. How you doing this week, Noon? Yeah, I'm doing all right. It, it's, it's been a reasonable week. Uh, my, my therapist has been on holidays, but he's back, so that's cool. That's kind of like, you know, what I figure everyone else feels about, like, going back to work in terms of, like, the end of the <laughs> Christmas break, except I'm like, fuck yeah! <laughs> ready to dive back into yeah. my mental health quest yeah exactly yeah that's good yeah, it is good uh and how about you what's going on uh you know i'm just hot and sweaty yeah yep yeah i'm watching the tennis but nobody wants to hear about that mm-hmm. yeah. i think a lot of people do but we're not going to talk about it but uh <laughs> i just wanted to shout out a few new patrons we've got a few this week which is lovely so shout outs to pan robert Tats and Jacob, and also to Milkboy for increasing their pledge to ACAB dollars. Uh, hell yeah. yeah. And Thanks, everyone. On that note, really nice. if you are an ACAB dollar patron, mm-hmm. and I haven't sent you out your limited edition Snackboy Toasty Guy pin, yep. please let us know. Email us or get in touch on Patreon or via the Discord yep. or whatever, because I want to send you your shit, and I'm not always good at remembering to do that, so mm-hmm. please let me know if you haven't got one. If you're missing it, yeah. Uh, and before we move on, oh, like if if you love the show, listener, and you want to support us financially, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash ospolsnackpod. And for $1 a month, you get you know access to our Discord and a monthly bonus episode. This month, uh, it just came out. It, we talked about a really terrible film called 2025, The World Enslaved by a Virus. So if for some reason you want to hear about mm. that absolute travesty, uh, you, can, you can get that. That was a rough one. It was. That was a rough one. Not our best decision Um, and i take mea culpa i'm sorry you know for that one that was my bad but also on that note we have a new transcriber for our transcripts which is what most of our patreon money goes to is paying them to do transcripts uh so shout out to you for popping on board the the transcribing team and if you want to read these episodes you can do it at ospolsnackpod.com or if you know someone who might prefer to or only be able to read them you, they can do that too. That as well, yes. Let them know. Yeah. Shall we? Yeah. Can I offer you one of these, sir? No, no. Take it away at once. All right, so this is uh, the aperitifs where we talk about stories and we're not going into that much detail about... <clears throat> yeah, okay, so here's uh, some <laughs> not very detailed stories. Uh, first up, there's this government grants program called Powering Communities Program. It's not 
the worst program I've ever seen. There's $10 million split evenly across every electorate, at least in theory, to, quote, assist community organizations to improve their energy efficiency practices and lower their energy bills. Federal members of parliament identify potential projects and invite applications from their electorate. Um, so basically, this is like, you know, 30 grand, something like that, 50 grand per MP to give mm. to, away in their electorates for like solar panels and shit. And I couldn't find any really good info on how this money has actually been allocated, but we have this good tweet from Nick Shadegg. Um, we have some anecdotal evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to read this out, Zach? Sure, this is a tweet from uh, at Nick Shadegg on Twitter. Definitely worth a follow if you're yeah, not already. Good, good tweeter. Nick says, environmentalism is when you give government handouts to elite voting clubs. Below that is two tweets from Tim Wilson MP, one of many nondescript... Uh, Tim's in Australian politics. We just had to retake this segment because we said the wrong Tim names several times, Generous like in many different ways. When it was me, what? but no, it was going. <laughs> oh, you did as well. It's true. I did. Yeah, <laughs> it great. was a mutual fuck up. Don't worry. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean Tim Wilson is—he's the pickle boy one. He uh, formerly worked at the IPA mm-hmm. and was like um, a vexatious litigant against the. Australian Environmental Commission or something? Right, right. Do you remember? Generally that? a jerk, but here he is celebrating, you know, $12,000 grants to uh, the Double Bay Sailing Club and the Brighton Yacht Club, which are obviously two very hard done by sailing clubs that really need this support. So, yeah. He's co-deliverer of boating club solar panels in the Double Bay case is Dave Sharma, which yes. is, um, I'm just going to, that's, I'm just going to, Chekhov's Dave Sharma that for later. Nice, nice. All right, here's our next very brief, not detailed story. Uh, Anne Rustin is a Liberal Senator. She's the Minister for Families and Social Services. And she went on Radio National this week to talk about disability employment because of Australian of the Year Dylan Alcott being a disabled man. And um, it was this gross interview because it's extremely clear that from the Liberal Party's point of view, disabled means not earning enough money. And I tweeted about this because it shut me off very badly. Um, But she said, and I quote, once people actually understand the value of employing somebody with a disability, they will continue to employ people with disability because they're often the best employee you can ever have. Uh, Uh, Don't worry, they're actually worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, totally. I know you might think that they're complete trash, but you can exploit their labor. Yeah, just like real people. Oh, wow. Yeah, and also like, you know, broad generalization about any group like oh yeah they're all great workers like that's really what you want from the minister in charge of gr- a group <laughs> yeah yeah we well, what, what you need to understand about every single one of these people is that they are the <laughs> they're same. all exactly the same yeah uh and shout outs leah host of loud angry and not sorry uh who replied with a good tweet stop making labor central to our humanity challenge which correct <laughs> all right Challenge not accepted <laughs> by the Liberal not, Party. Yeah. Not you, now or ever. And Rustin and the rest of the Liberal Party. Okay. Uh, and then our third vaguely related story, Centrelink is absolutely cooked. Um, so this... It's uh, me smacking my face <laughs> in horror. Yeah. You, you sent me this, Zach. Um, it's a tweet from at Kristen8x who said... What an absolute fucking joke these people are. Just look at this response to Janet Rice's question about how people are getting on the DSP. So, and they attach this screenshot of a transcript, which I'm not going to read all of, but I'll just read the the key bits. So, uh, the chair, who I assume is Janet Rice, says, 
Could you also provide some data on the number of current DSP recipients, say the most recent date uh, of, you know, and then she lists a bunch of like types of data that you might want about like who granted their claims, what sort of impairments they have, who was Mm -hmm. the review officer and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, And then uh, the answer goes, uh, DSP customer data is not stored in a way that readily facilitates production of the requested information. The requested information would require Services Australia to individually analyze each current DSP customer's record, capture the requested information for each customer, around 750,000 customer records would need to be assessed, and manually produce the reporting tables. Just fucking command F, baby. It's yeah. not that hard. Now, <laughs> Control they, F if you're on a PC, to be fair. It, which is a slightly longer distance between the two keys. That's true. That's true. Maybe they're all on PC and they have tiny hands over at Services Australia, and Control F is not an option. But it seems I mean, to me, genuinely, Zach, I believe that their computers would be really old and terrible. Definitely. But that's and- also not an excuse for claiming I can't search information. We have a database, we just can't search it. It seems like a crucial aspect of a database that it is I would searchable. say it's almost its primary That's what distinguishes feature. it from, like, random pieces of text not stored in a coherent way anyway and if you don't have that in a database then what the fuck are you doing yeah like what is the point of the department okay that's quite enraging anyway that's the end of our aperitifs uh sorry slushy welcome look you don't i want to talk a little bit in Positivity Corner about uh, a bit of art that we had here in Nam, a.k.a. Melbourne, over the past week. Um, listeners may not know this, for, but for a brief period of about three months, I was an art reviewer for a very minor online publication when I was about 21 years old, and I wrote like four reviews, and then uh, they never contacted me again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you do a bit of Googling of my uh, actual you're, name... You're welcome for that hookup, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was actually the who hooked me up. Anyway, my point is, I'm not much of an art guy, but I'm going to sure. do what I can. Here in Nam, over the past week, two statues of Captain Cook were covered in red paint. And this is a positivity corner because that's a cool thing to do. And yeah. I'm in favor of it. And I like protest and I like art protest. So... Obviously, you know, the Invasion Day March was cancelled due to COVID, and so attention of the media comes to form and other forms of protest. So this is not the first year that somebody has covered a Captain Cook statue in red paint, but in the absence of other stuff to report on, this is getting a lot more conversation. That makes sense. And basically, you can tell it's good because of who it's pissing off. Uh, (laughs) I watched quite a bit of Channel 9's coverage of this, and Carl Stefanovic was um, having a big whinge about it, which... Tick in the plus column. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, to give you a tenor of the kind of response that the, the Channel 9 was gathering from people, here's a clip of the mayor of Port Phillip, which is um, the suburb of St. Kilda. Is in the, he's in charge of the suburb of St. Kilda, which is where one of the Captain Cook statues gotcha. were. And it's obviously disappointing that uh, people have felt the need to come and do this today, and ultimately ratepayers will have to pay for this to be cleaned up this morning. Oh, no. Yes. Not the poor ratepayers. It's the only way that this guy can process an event like this is like, but what will be the cost of cleaning it up? Like, it's it's literally yep. his own, like, the only way that people can conceptualize responding to this, which is, yeah, 
tells you a lot about the caliber of person who is mayor of Port Phillip specifically. Yep. Um, also on Channel 9, they had the Victorian uh, Police Assistant Commissioner on, basically being like, yeah, we encourage... Are you laughing because I wrote down Ass Commissioner? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, well, yeah. It's the Vic, so the Vic Paul Ass Commissioner was on... Uh, again, Channel 9 talking about how they encourage peaceful protest uh-huh. and respectful de- re- debate around these issues, but this is not that. Yeah, so, well, I is, don't know. <laughs> is this not peaceful? But, 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 I mean, this is a really interesting question. You know, mm-hmm. who gets to define what is violence? Yeah. And, you know, if the state doesn't want you to do something like throwing a bucket of paint on a block of what all these things made out of bronze Brass or something bronze. Brass. I, don't know. I don't know about metals on a big lump of metal, if, like throwing paint onto metal equals violence. If yeah. it's something that the state doesn't want you to do. So I think it's interesting. Actual and that's that we historical and ongoing genocide, not violence. Mm-mm-mm. Paint on metal. No, no. Clearly violence. Well, this is it. The, the other flip side of this, of those comments, right? You know, the idea of respectful debate. Who does this idea of respectful debate benefit? Could it be the people who are already in power and mm-hmm. are exploiting indigenous people? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to talk about respectful, let's talk about over-incarceration. Let's talk about deaths in custody. Right. Or even on a, like, conversational level, let's talk about the fact that you're literally celebrating genocide. Sure, sure. That's How is that fucking respectful? Super disrespectful. Um, right. Yes. But, yeah, it's, again, who gets to define violence, who gets to define respect, so... You know, that's one that's one conversation that's happening. Mm-hmm. I've got to, uh, also um, to be fair to Channel Nine. They also did um, interview some Indigenous people about this, and one of them okay. was April Day from the Dajua Foundation. Just going to play a clip of what she said. Have a look at how they're feeling about a vandalized statue, and then have a think about how we're feeling about the ongoing genocide of our people. There is no date that is good enough to celebrate genocide. So yeah, I mean that yep. uh, that tells you a lot. You know, what is it that these people really value? But I want to also talk about this a little bit from like an art perspective. Like I say, I'm not a big art guy, but my mum was an art critic. Mm-hmm. So just like, you know, how um in Groundhog Day, Bill Murray gets really good at piano and he's like, this is your first time playing? He's like, well, my dad was, a, my dad moved pianos. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, basically, I think this it's in, the conversation around this reveals some interesting things about the way that we think about public art. Hmm. These statues almost aren't even really seen as public art a lot of the time. They're kind right. of part of the furniture, but that's what they are. They are their art, their works of art that tell mm-hmm. a pro-colonial story, and it is important that their presence is interrogated and criticized. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think there's there's interesting things to dive into here. Like, the dominant culture when it comes to visual art is is one of kind of like distance and respectful observation, right? Like, you don't go into a gallery and draw on the paintings or move the pieces right, right, around right. or whatever. And that's got a kind of cultural lineage that goes back to, you know, uh, that has, you know, religious roots, for example. A lot of art, you know... Uh, a lot of fine art was religious early on. And it's, and... Exactly. And so you have this reverence for it. Mm-hmm. But it's also, you know, very much tied to like wealth and, and class mm-hmm. uh, and value because art, you know, has now, you know, basically developed this huge sort of uh, commercial aspect as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Paintings are sort of like the original NFTs, if you will. Wow. That helps you sort of conceptualize that. Wow. <laughs> Hoping to get some annoyed commentary on that one. But so my point is that art is like generally something that you are 
often for, forbidden to participate mm -hmm. in. Now, there's, there's obviously exceptions to this in contemporary art. A lot of contemporary art is about breaking down those boundaries and sure. finding, you know, encouraging new ways of, of um, participatory art and that kind of thing. But in a general sense, you know, you go into a white wall gallery. Yep. You know, if you want to critique or refute a piece of art, you know, beyond having a conversation about it with your mate that you came to the gallery with, you basically have to be like an art critic mm -hmm. publishing a piece about it or another artist who can create something, you know, that is... Yeah, mm. exactly. But the other sort of interesting thing about these, like, commemorative statues that are around the place is that they are state-sanctioned art. So right. they're imbued, you know, at this superficial level with, the, with their kind of pro-colonial narrative. Then there's also that sort of pre-existing reverence that, you know, is encouraged around real art. But then on top of that, they have this like extra level of protection from criticism, which is given to them by the state. Like these statues are literally protected by law. And this is where it's interesting coming, you know, come, going back to those comments mm. from the Vicpol Arts Commissioner, that he considers throwing paint on these statues not peaceful protest. Yeah. And you start to see the intersection of how laws function in order to preserve the nationalist, colonialist narrative mm -hmm. of Australia. Mm -hmm. And I think engaging with that is a really interesting thing to do because th these artworks are in our space, they're in public space, but it's illegal to engage with those works right. artistically within that public, same public space. Like you can't put up your own work without the states say so nearby mm -hmm. if you wanted to make a piece that was in conversation with them or whatever you know if you want to have them removed right, right. there's not really anything you could do i mean maybe you start a petition to the council yeah and yep. then get knocked back two years later or something so you know if you do want to engage with it at an artistic or creative level your you, your only choice really is to not play by the state's rules you say fuck reverence for these celebrations of of racist murders you f say fuck the rules that, that, that tell you that you can't interact with these artworks. And I think that's what these, you know, bits of uh, protest art mm, mm. really did. So... Yeah. Oh, I just think that's, yeah, a good analysis and a good point. And, like, the fact that they're being protected and state-sanctioned in some ways opens them up on, like, for more public interaction or public ownership or, like... It should, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, these things are in our space. You know, we should be able to interact mm. with them. On Twitter uh, earlier this week, Virginia Trioli, uh, ABC Journal, That's was, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, was tweeting about how this, like, little park that has been built under the new, like, train overpass in right. Moreland in Nam had been tagged and was like, oh, no. And it's, like, literally slabs of fucking bare concrete and yeah. freeway pylons that have yeah. now got graffiti on them. And I was looking at that being like, this, this is a is huge more... improvement. This yeah. is good, actually. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but so let me slip back into art critic mode. Here's my review yep. of the paint that okay, was cool. thrown on the Captain Cook Great. statue. Great, love it. Visually, I think the imagery is very effective. It makes a big visual impact, especially the one in St. Kilda, which is like a full body, like it's of Captain Cook's full body. So it's like head to toe. He's mm -hmm. covered in fucking red mm -hmm. paint. And... This is how colonizers like Cook should be remembered. And that's how they should be visualized. Fucking drenched in blood. It's like, it's, it's a simple image, but it's, but it's effective and it's powerful. And on the flip side, conceptually, for all of the reasons that I've kind of explained above, I think this, this is genuinely a powerful artistic response to state-controlled narratives, to the sterilization of Australia's genocidal history. It's a practical act of 
creative artistic rebellion that reminds this racist state, you know, your power isn't total. There are people mm -hmm. who don't buy your bullshit, who don't play by your rules. And as I said earlier, I think the hyperventilation from conservatives and cops is proof that this is an effective artistic statement. Yep. So yeah, there you go. Cool. Well, thanks for that, Zach. Next up, I'm going to talk about our First Nations story, um, which is about the Aboriginal flag. And uh, obviously, this has been a big topic this last week uh, because, yeah, the PM announced just before Invasion Day slash Australia Day that the federal government had bought the copyright to the um, red, black, and yellow Aboriginal flag and that mm -hmm. from now on it would be free for anyone to use. And so this is a move that came after a company called Wham Clothing, which I'll talk about a bit more uh, in a sec, but they're not owned by Indigenous people, uh, sent cease and desist letters to various Indigenous artists and also to football clubs for copyright infringement because they were using this flag in their art and uh, for football in, on their jerseys mm. and so on. And I think uh, Wham Clothing wanted a 20% cut of like all profits from the football matches where they had indigenous patches on it's like a huge yeah anyway so uh, i'm gonna give a brief it was history a bad of, situation it's pretty bad yeah, uh, yeah. I, i'm gonna give a brief history of the flag and then a little bit more analysis about what it means that the government has bought this copyright so yeah the flag was created in either 1970 or 71 uh by harold thomas who's an award-winning literature artist and an activist who was part of the stolen generation he was stolen from his family age seven um, and he designed the flag, and then a year later in 1972, it became the official flag of the Aboriginal Tent Embassy. Uh, and then in 1995, um, he, well, it was made an official flag of Australia along with the Torres Strait Islander flag, and obviously the colonial flag, which was already an official one. Um, and that was also the first year that he asserted copyright um, over it, which is interesting. Sure. Um, and so he still held that copyright, but uh, said that anyone could use the design for non commercial reasons. So if you want to put it on a sign at a rally or whatever, no, no worries, you can make art with it, whatever. Um, yep. But you can't sell things with it without permission. Um, and he did give permission out to various companies or organizations at various times. But in 2005, he sold commercial rights to the flag, all commercial rights for, I think it was souvenirs, uh, to a company called Birabi Art, which was owned by a non-Indigenous man called Ben Wooster. And in 2019... Uh, Birabi Art was given a $2.3 million fine by the federal court for selling more than 50,000 pieces of fake Aboriginal art, including uh, boomerangs, dot art paintings, and other stuff that were manufactured in Australia, but sold with things like authentic Aboriginal art, etc., etc. It's really an epidemic, isn't it? It's Just like, super fucked. I, I don't know exactly what you'd call it, but like sending it like either like coercing indigenous artists into making mm. art and then selling it and giving them none of the profit or that's right yeah or like yeah. faking indigenous art yeah. it's like you know even these these small industries where indigenous people uh can gain some kind of financial independence like immediately mm. just get co-opted and yep. destroyed by colonial capitalists well ah. hold on to that idea zach because it's okay, gonna great. get more um, yeah, so $2.3 million, but the company liquidated and never paid the fine. Haha. <laughs> but don't worry, Ben Worcester, he's also the part owner of two other companies that bought licenses for the flag called Fucking Gifts hell. Mate um, and Wham Clothing, who I already mentioned. So, yeah, in, in 2019, 
Wham Clothing sends cease and desist letters to Clothing the Gap um, and several mm. other Indigenous-owned businesses who are using the flag. Um, and in 2020, a Senate committee is formed in response to these cease and desist letters, uh, and they give two recommendations, which are one, the government should not acquire copyright on the flag, and two, the government should create a body of Indigenous people to independently manage the copyright. So, uh... Well, we all know how the government feels about accepting and implementing recommendations. So there's really only one way that this could go. That's right. Yeah, so uh, the day before Invasion Day this year, the government finalized this $20 million deal to acquire the copyright on the flag in blatant contradiction of the recommendations of the Senate committee. Uh, Technically, the artist uh, Harold Thomas still has the moral rights on the flag, so he can basically decide if it's being used disrespectfully or something along those lines. Uh But pretty much the government controls the commercial copyright. And in a statement, the Prime Minister said this. We have freed the Aboriginal flag for all Australians. The Aboriginal flag will now be managed in a similar manner to the Australian national flag, where its use is free but must be presented in a respectful and dignified way. All Australians can now put the Aboriginal flag on apparel such as sports jerseys and shirts. It can be painted on sports grounds, included on websites, in paintings and other artworks, used digitally or in any other medium without having to ask for permission or pay a fee. So... This is what I would describe as a mixed bag at best, basically. (laughs) Mm. Um, So, sure, now Wham! Clothing doesn't have exclusive rights to the design. That is good. Yes. Clothing the Gap and other Indigenous-run businesses and individuals can use the flag however they like. Also good. The problem is, so can everyone else. Yeah. And... If anything, this just makes it easier for white people and colonizers in general to continue to appropriate indigenous art and identity. Mm. Um, this is perhaps why the recommendation was to not appoint do that. a board of indigenous mm. people who might be able to direct this. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I just feel like this Senate committee thing is just like ultimate proof that Parliament is a sham. You know, like, mm. yes. it was like, okay, the system's working. We've come up with a good solution. We're going to do exactly the opposite of that. Job done. Boom. Bye. And then we're going, but then also the, like, goal to announce it the day before Invasion Day. Right. As, it, as some kind of, like, great victory that the government is responsible for on behalf of Indigenous people is so yep. fucking cynical. Totally. And it's just more empty bullshit, like, from... Yep. The Liberal government, like, any kind of, like, aesthetic little thing that they can do to Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, that has the appearance of, like, solidarity with Indigenous people, they'll do. But then you scratch, like, one tiny millimeter below the surface and it's like, oh, actually, this is largely cooked. It reminds me strongly of the change to the national anthem that used to be We Are Young and Free and is now... We are one and free. Oh my god! Uh, which I was also announced. Completely forgotten about that. Yeah, I messaged you earlier today, being like, "So Morrison government, isn't it?" Exactly. It's like this, like, "Oh, look, we're like thinking about indigenous people, but in a way that largely involves like more aggressively colonizing and appropriating (laughs) their identity and culture with the material living conditions of anybody concerned. Like, yeah, yeah, a bunch of minor aesthetic garbage that ultimately. Is not is worse than nothing, 
Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Significantly way. worse. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Again, in this situation, a mixed bag, like yeah, a mixed sure. bag at best. Yeah. But like, yeah. So I just wanted to finish off this section uh, with a quote from an article in the Conversation by Bronwyn Carlson. The article was called "Don't Say the Australian Flag Was Freed. It Belongs to Us, Not the Commonwealth." And it was a really good article, which I'll put a link to. But um, is just one brief quote from it that I wanted to read. The Aboriginal flag is a symbol of our strength as an ancient people who preceded the symbolic and real effects of national borders. The Aboriginal flag does not belong to all Australians. It belongs, like the land, to us as a symbol of our sovereignty. Morrison's statement about having, quote, freed the flag for all is offensive. It is ours. He has no authority to free it. The Aboriginal flag cannot just be freed. It is an emblem of our emotion, our loves and losses. It holds our faith, our hope and our future. Oh, actually, I've I've got another tweet here. Um, would you read that one out? Uh, so this is a tweet from Linda June Co, which is at Linda uh, Linda with a Y June One on Twitter. What a demoralizing way to capitalize from our people's oppression. The flag united mob under a cause: the struggle for land rights, self determination, and sovereignty. The Commonwealth, having now taken ownership of an international symbol of black resistance, loses its meaning. The flag was free until it became the property of one and not all of us. I can't help but feel robbed once again. What have we got? Fuck all. Hmm. Yep. Anyway, yeah, that's the end of that segment. It's a complicated story. Um, but is ultimately just the government being really shit again. Not wholly surprising. Uh, let's move on now to Blurst Take. It was the best of takes. It was the blurst of takes. You stupid monkey. <laughs> and, you know, we have some blessed and some blurst takes this time. So that's nice. Um, and, you know, of course, we couldn't go this whole episode without mentioning Grace Tame, um, who has been sort of leading the shitposting world, the Ozpol shitposting, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, events for the last week, uh, because she went to the Australia Day Honours Ceremony because she was Australian of the Year last year, and as I'm sure all of you know, she gave Scott Morrison an amazing glare and walked off while he tried to talk to her. Clearly a boss move. Um, that's not the blessed take. Uh, many people took it upon themselves to scold Tame for being rude, uh, including one Peter Van Onselen, a.k.a. PVO, who is a reporter who isn't like a full pickle boy, but has some very pickly energy. Mm. Yeah. He does. He does. With uh, brine on the guy. Not without a certain salty vinaigrette. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and he wrote a column which in which he said that Tame was, quote, ungracious, rude, and childish, and that if your disdain for the man is so great, understandable perhaps, that you can't even muster basic and common courtesy, then just don't go. Oh, fuck off. Okay, well, two, I got two things to say about that. Okay. One, to call what he wrote a column is generous. Like, he's desperately trying to stretch out feeling somehow upset about Grace Tame looking unhappy near the Prime Minister into an article, which he can't even do. Like, it's like three paragraphs, all of which say the exact same fucking thing. And also, again, we're coming back to this idea of, like, 
who gets to define what respect is, mm, you know? Yeah, was I was going to mention was that it, when you were talking about it before. Yeah, like, was it yeah, respectful yeah. when Scott Morrison refused to uh-huh. stand down an alleged rapist from his cabinet? Or was it respectful when he, when his government didn't invite Grace Tame, Australian of the Year, who was an advocate around issues of child sexual abuse, to the development of a national plan around protecting children from sexual violence? Like... Yep. What? Like, you want to talk about respect? Let's fucking talk about respect then. Yep. Sorry. And so that's the blessed take. Upcoming is the blessed take, which is um, PVO hosts The Project on Channel 10. And uh, on Tuesday, they had a guest, Amy Ramakis, who's a political reporter at The Guardian. uh, And she was there to promote her new book. And she and uh, Peter Van Onselen's co-host, Carrie Bickmore, absolutely ripped into him for like a solid five minutes on air and you know i just before i read that quote where he said if the if her disdain is so great understandable perhaps and he really tries and rides this like well obviously i don't think this but it really seems like she should act in a way that makes it seem like i think this um and there's more of that in this clip so anyway i uh yeah, could you hit that, Zach? Can I just borrow into that for a bit, Amy? Some people, I'm not one of them for the record, but some people uh, don't see the problem with him drawing the parallel to his uh, daughters and his wife. Uh, what is the problem with it? Well, and I have to say this, um, Peter, your um, remarks during this whole period is one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because your response absolutely helped fuel my anger and the anger of so many people around it, because... Not only do people what was need my to response? your response when you were talking about the micro and the macro of the situation and how perhaps we needed to think about, you know, some of the other people who were involved in some other allegations that came up at the time. It was just flabbergasting to me. You hold such an important position in the na- national conversation. But that that was that just, was, can I just, for my own point here, can I just clarify, that wasn't about Brittany Higgins. That was no, about Christian Porter. it wasn't about Brittany Higgins, yeah. but it was within the same conversation. It's all part of the same conversation. And you hold such an important part in that conversation. And for you to take that line was devastating to so many people. And your column today, again, devastating to so many people, because this is the point. The point is women constantly have to come out, talk about their trauma, talk about their position, talk about not being taken seriously, scream the roof down, get to the point where I am almost crying on national television to talk about this because we're constantly being told how we should act, who we should think about and who perhaps should be seen in our place. Yeah, and uh, then Carrie Beckmore tags in and gives him the chair. Um, it, it goes on like this. I, I strongly recommend watching it. Um, I'll pop a link in the show notes. Um, but then there's been a whole lot more fallout from this as well, and Amy Ramikas has just published an article about it, which is great. Uh, Peter Van Onselen also published one. I haven't fucking read it. Um, but it's like, we need to get more a respectful tone in our debate, even when we disagree with people. Ugh. It was mean for those women to be mean to me on TV. And um, there's rumors that he's going to quit his job, which is hilarious. So, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I, currently unsubstantiated. Yeah. The so, tame anyway, effect. This, fucking hell. Uh, I know. Talk about the it. chair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of articles being like, uh, will he want to work with her? Will she want to work with him? Um Sounds like maybe she hasn't wanted to work with him for a while. Anyway, um, Mm. but uh, here's one quote from this uh, Amy Ramikas article from this morning. Uh, 
What happens when we're no longer willing to make nice? What happens when decades of conditioning to smile through the discomfort for the sole purpose of making others feel comfortable shatters? What happens when women start declining to make very important men feel better about themselves and their offensive opinions? And, you know... Yeah, I so good. There's so many good takedowns, and like this very important men thing is something that Remakers develops in this piece. Yeah. That, yeah. I think, I mean, the other thing about this that really stands out to me in watching that footage of Tame, you know, being near the Prime Minister, you know, she still shakes his hand and, right. and, st- and does stand there for the photo op, but she's just not smiling. And she's like, clearly doesn't like the guy, and with very good reason. But I think she probably says, "Oh, good morning to Jenny Morrison or whatever." Yeah, but I can, you know, this really struck a chord with people, and not, and you know, obviously along these gendered lines, which is Mm. the most kind of obvious Mm. way that the, you know, there's been this kind of backlash to it, you know, which is why people like Amy Ramikas have been rightfully very, you know, have been condemning the response of misogynist fuckwits like Peter Van Onselen. But I think Mm -hmm. there's also this element to the that situation of like, great, you know, politics is bullshit. Everybody in it yes. is constantly bullshitting, and the media is yep. uh, complicit in the propping up yep. of that bullshit and the lending of uh, credibility to that bullshit. We know that Scott Morrison is a fucking liar, and he never says anything yep. that he means. He never yep. acts the way he genu- genuinely feels. Someone like Grace Tame rocks up and expresses herself genuinely in a space right. like that. It's so refreshing, and people watch totally. that, and, they, and you know, it's and- inspirational. And people like Peter Van Onselen's entire job is to basically shield the circus from Mm -hmm. scrutiny and credibility. And Mm -hmm. so he's coming in, basically going into bat for the system, being like, we all need, guys, we all need your help to keep this charade going. We all Mm -hmm. need you to believe and actively prop up the bullshit, otherwise it all falls apart. That's another reason why I think it's so threatening to weasels like him. Well, I think also one of the reasons that I found this, yeah, footage of the project so, like, enjoyable is exactly the Mm. same reason, right? Is that, like, here's this guy who's in this sort of position of Mm. power. He's the co-host of the show. You are not there to interview the co-host of the show or to talk about him. He's there Mm. to talk about you and what you're doing and what's happening. Like, the news is not part of the news. And so for Amy Ramakis and more so his co-host turn around and be like hey actually you're you have to be accountable for what you do Mm. in the public arena and we're in the public now so tell us like why did you do that and like his safety or like not literal safety but his like emotional safety having been shielded from criticism is under threat Mm. in exactly the same way that scott morrison's was when grace tame like entered into that space in a way that didn't conform with like what they decided the rules are yeah um, or what they had decided that day because obviously they changed constantly and whatever but yeah. yeah no absolutely i think it takes you know real integrity and bravery mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. that in those kinds of very public contexts doubly so in the face of gendered expectations where they're expected these women are expected to play nice and stroke the egos of these men even if they fucking hate them and have very good reasons to do so so yeah it's yep i i you know it's it's powerful stuff I've just got uh, two more little things before we wrap up on this story. So uh, one thing is that, of course, there is a huge amount of misogyny in this, you know, give us a smile of attitude from PPO and from all of the other people who've been saying the same thing on Twitter and elsewhere. But I also wanted to briefly mention an article by Kara Schlegel, uh, which points out that Grace Tame is autistic and that there are also layers of ableism in this situation. Um, Just one quote from that, but again, I'll put a link in. 
Studies have shown that autistic women and girls are three times more likely to be targeted by abusers and sexual assault perpetrators. And one of the major cited reasons this statistic is so high is because we're taught by society to repress our authentic feelings, to mask our behaviors, our pain and our needs, so as to not make other people feel uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, that's not something I feel like... Yeah, yeah, it's not an angle I would have thought of and not something I feel like super well qualified to speak about, um, mm. but definitely interesting. And yeah, shout out to Karish Legal for writing that. And uh, yeah, we'll put a link in there. That's a great piece. Definitely highly recommend reading that one. And uh, before we wrap up, I also wanted to mention an article from The Chaser. Project viewers asked why PVO refused to smile during roast. He came across very rude. Viewers of the project today have raised concerns regarding Peter Van Onselen's refusal to smile during a segment in which he was torn apart by journalist Amy Ramirez and co-host Carrie Bickmore. I mean, why even bother showing up if you can't seem entertained, said Jamie, who still watches that show for some reason. He just seemed like he didn't want to be there, not to mention the way he was con- uh, refusing to concede the point was just childish. <laughs> Thanks, Chaser. Still doing that It's uh, low-grade political humor. And this is cool as hell. Yep. That's probably not a bad point to transition into... Shitpost of the week. Because we're staying on on the Grace Tame tip. And yes, you know, her time as Australian of the Year is up. And uh, yes, the uh, Australia Day honours are basically a fucking trash fire. But, you know, she used her platform to incredible effect. We've Mm -hmm. spoken at length previous on the show about the conversations that she's helped push forward in her activism. You know, um, and... If we have to have an Australian of the Year, then, like, Grace Tame is exactly the kind of person I'd like to see get that award. But, you know, and and obviously, you know, we don't want to diminish the uh, her amazing work as an advocate Mm -hmm. and the fact that the issues that she speaks about are deeply serious. But aside from all of that, she's also a poster. And it's always nice in a general sense. Yeah, it's always been it's always nice in a general sense when staunch activists are also posters. And she only joined Twitter last year, so she's a fairly new poster, but, like, shot straight to the top of the Ozpol shitposting game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with her time as Australian of the Year coming to an end, uh, we just wanted to do a little bit of a uh, a salute, I guess, to Grace Tame's posting. Um, so, I mean, one example after this week's shenanigans, she posted uh, a screenshot for a Monty Python and the Holy Grail, uh, you know, on second thoughts, let's not go to Camelot. Tis a silly place, except it's Canberra. Canberra. Uh, that, one, that, one, that one gave me a chuckle. Mm-hmm. Um, also, throughout the year, like, very handily and classily fending off attacks from classic right-wing commentators, for example. Thank you all for your unflinching support. The kind words mean a lot, but there is truly no higher honor than being called a toxic influence by Andrew Bolt. <laughs> or... True. Um, her quote tweet of this uh, Mark Latham tweet, Australian of the Year says the Prime Minister has a corrupt standard. This is the new normal in the way Grace Tame has disgraced her appointed role. Grace quote tweeted it with, thanks, real Mark. Framing this. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Very entertaining. Yep. Uh, And, uh, but probably the best uh, instance of Tame posting this year was the the Shui saga, which you did mention last week, Noon, but I thought we could... Go over in a bit more detail. Yes. As a bit of a, um, a poster's send-off. Uh, so this started when uh, Grace Tame posted a photo of herself in a moon boot just before Christmas. I don't know how she injured her foot. <laughs> I think it may have been in some kind of scooter-related accident, but anyway. Sure. 
Um, and uh, uh, and Chaser, wow, the Chaser's coming up again. John Delmenico, who uh, is one of the Chaser interns, who you may know okay. from Twitter, uh, retweeted Grace Tame's photo of herself in a moon boot, saying, petition for Australian of the Year Grace Tame to do a shoey from a moon boot. Tame responded, we'll do a shoey on New Year's from the boot if this gets 10,000 likes. We all know I don't back down. And then when I was looking at these tweets, I found a little um, explanatory conversation under oh, that yeah, one good. from uh, Grace Tame, which I thought was helpful. Uh, friend of the show, Regina, responded, easier said than done. And then uh, somebody called Carl Sheldrick responded, have to line it with a plastic bag first. Regina mm-hmm. responds, fuck, you're the smartest man alive. Shout out to Kyle, smartest man alive. Good one. Yeah, big ups. Then December 31st comes around, tame tweets, why... I think it's nearly time to drink a beer out of a boot. And uh, as promised, she delivered. And if you haven't seen it, I do highly recommend watching the video. I'm not going to play the audio because it's just Working Class Boy by Jimmy Barnes. Um, But she's essentially... But it's very impressive. It's really... It is. And it goes on for just so long. um, Yeah. She had the bin liner inside the boot. She's got a friend pouring, pouring it uh, a can of cascade yeah. which is obviously you know a classic tasmanian beer down into the boot and she really she's just chugging it for like a full minute <laughs> and uh she, anyway it's uh, high quality top tier posting from former australian of the year mm-hmm. grace team we salute you and your posting uh and all that you've done uh in your you know amazing work actual uh, real work actual yeah. real real world good <laughs> important stuff that you do as well uh, yeah, I mean, all of this really is just shoring up of you know something I was, I guess, touching on earlier, which is that she just comes across as extremely genuine and real, and it is just mm-hmm. so vanishingly rare in the yep. Australian political landscape. So, yeah, huge, huge respect. Okay, next we have... Election. Cast your vote. But don't vote at all! That's right. It's the election <laughs> section. Uh, because, uh, you know, we have three elections coming up this year. There's the, the federal election, the Victorian election, and the South Australian election. And uh, we'll probably be talking about them a fair amount. So, new segment. Yeah, we're still maybe workshopping the sting for that one. That's just a clip from the, the trailer for the movie Election, because I am extremely imaginative. But if you've got a better idea, listener, let us hear it. Please let us if know. you can I think could... of some kind of election-related food pun... Uh-huh, yeah. Especially I guess like an audio it would clip or... probably be I mean, like democracy sausage or something. Yeah, okay. Sort of something about Israeli out. erections. Uh, I don't know. Um, let us know, listeners. Write in. Where does Israeli come from? That was when I, I was talking about Israeli elections, and that's when I said erections accidentally. <laughs> and we joked. It was like a, a year ago. I forgot about and that. Then, I was like, how is that food related? No, it's, uh, it was... Lack no, of imagination just, on my part, I guess. Just an Ospol snack pod thing but it's fine you might have heard of us zach um all right so uh, this inaugural election sorry i was gonna say listeners please send in your suggestions for alternative stinks other than that one but uh, or if you like the movie election pick a better clip from it i haven't seen it since i was like 17 so maybe there's another good part okay so uh this is mostly about the the federal libs but there's a little bit of south australia election section at the end as well um so, yes, the Liberal Party are, surprise, 
totally fucking useless. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of detail about this avail- uh, available, but not much that sort of ties it together in a narrative. So I've kind of pieced this together as best as I can from a bunch mm-hmm. of different articles and stuff. If anyone out there understands the internal machinations of the Liberal Party, please send us a potluck about this. But We'd love to know. I think I pretty much figured it out. So... The Liberal Party introduced rules that say that rank-and-file members, so, like, you know, just random members of the party, should get to vote on who is their candidate for their, uh, like, the election, for their um, seat. But they haven't held the vote yet. Um, And there's a quote from The Guardian. The federal election campaign is weeks away. The poll, as in the poll for rank-and-file members to vote for who the candidates will be, must be held by May, and independents and Labour are out in electorates campaigning. But the New South Wales Liberal Party has been hamstrung because since May 2021, it has been unable to convene a committee to vet candidates to run in the pre-selections. So, hold up. So they're supposed to run basically a party-wide poll? Where every exactly. members of every seat vote for who's so going to represent them. So each seat will yeah. like hold a meeting for all of the Liberal yeah. Party members in that seat, and they'll vote like, "Yeah, I think Bill should do it," or whatever. So yeah. no seats have been able to have their little mini internal pre-selections right. because because the federal like uh, sorry the, the is, I think it's New South Wales Liberal Party has a committee. Um, that has to go through the possible candidates to be like, yeah, they're fine. No, they're not fine. And they haven't done that yet. Mm. So why haven't they convened that committee? Well, how do you lose to these fucking guys? Right. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) why haven't they been able to convene this committee? It seems to be because the Liberal MP, Alex Hawke, is the head of the committee. And he's worried he will lose the pre-selection vote. So he's tried to delay it so long that they won't have time to have the polls and they'll have no choice but for the central committee to just pick the people who are going to serve. That is the ultimate liberal MP move, isn't it? That Get is into fucking the head of incredible. the committee and then just don't hold the committee. Like <laughs> that's really their like thesis about what government should be as it's well. Truly, you know that's. Yeah quite amazing and it seems like he's pulling it off because uh just in the last few (laughs) days uh the three factions which apparently are the moderates the center right and the right lol um (laughs) they've oh god they're annoying um they've made some kind of secret deal in the last couple of days and so far there haven't been any big leaks that sounds Uh, democratic yeah 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 (laughs) The short story is that after the negotiations for saving unpopular sitting MPs, which again seems to be the main point of factions, Mm -hmm. um, there were three empty seats and each faction got one. And the right uh, have got the seat of Hughes, which is currently held by none other than Craig Kelly, uh, who in one of these articles I read was described as a turncoat, which I thought was, uh, you know, you don't (laughs) get that word that often uh, in the modern day. No, it's appropriate. Yeah, he was he was elected as a liberal and defected to Palmer's party. I mean, it kind of makes him sound sneakier than he is, you know, and kind of suave. Yeah, where it's it's more like he just blundered his way into fucking up an extremely safe political position where he'd been personally rescued by two successive prime ministers in order to swivel trucker cap or something than a tan coat. Yeah. I mean, it, respect for the desire to just post through it. 
He's opposed to Borden Brett. That's his main strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the rights pick for Hughes, for who they want to parachute in there, is one Alex Dorr, the nephew of Chris Dorr, who I didn't know this, but he's the editor at The Australian. Mm. Um, So obviously exactly... Yeah, yeah. Mm, His nephew. Uh, Alex Dorr apparently also has the blessing of Alan Jones, so you know he must be a great guy. (laughs) And this is a bit Uh. of a side note, but I've been watching The Sopranos recently, and there's like... Tony and his nephew have kind of like a protege mentor kind of vibe, but whatever. Possibly yeah, and debatably the best character in the show. The nephew? Yeah. Christopher. Wow. Moltisanti. Chip, you just I must say be that loyal to my capo. You Beautiful will, girl, I love you. You went to film school. Um, <laughs> yeah, he just clocked that guy in acting class. Anyway, um, <laughs> but it, it's funny because nephews is the funniest type of nepotism i feel like it just like you know george bush and then george bush you know his sons that's <laughs> that makes sense to me fair mm. enough you know kings what are monarchs that goes down like, to children nephew? nephew you didn't even know that guy like <laughs> right and it's just like oh uh, yeah he's got the same last name as me give him a cushy job <laughs> and uh let's say hughes uh, i'll break your kneecaps and uh yeah um obviously nepotism comes from the word the same root word as nephew Ah, nephewtism, yes. Yes, yeah. Um, So I guess it's been going on for a minute, but, like, it still seems funny to me. Um, Anyway, Alex lives in Manly on the other side of Sydney, so uh, all of the people in Hughes are really mad about it. Um, I love when my party tells me that my candidate is going to be some 12-year-old boy (laughs) who has never been to my suburb before. Yep. And whose uncle is just like a, a cigar chomping big wig. <laughs> the blessing of Alan Jones also has oh, big like kiss the ring energy. Like, it's like <laughs> I think possibly the single worst person you could have the blessing from <laughs> like, in yeah. Australia, possibly yeah. short of George Pell. That like, mm-hmm. who of course has the blessing of Alan Jones. So you know it all. Oh, it's no. all one big circle. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, the good news for people who love this petty drama, such as me, is that this isn't locked in yet. Uh, it needs a 90% vote from the Liberal Party's Executive Council to approve breaking the rules that say they need to have the ballots at the seat level. So they only need three people in that council of uh, is 27 or 30 people in it. They, they need three people to vote against it, which is definitely possible because the Australian has reported that at least one member of the council was threatening legal action if this goes through. So Fantastic. presumably he won't vote for it. Yeah. And the Sydney Morning Herald spoke with, quote, members, plural, who said they hadn't seen the deal and were skeptical about its merits. Um, so <laughs> unclear what will happen if this gets knocked back. Um, but that said, the election is very imminent and they might just approve it so as they can have like literally any candidates mm. in some seats and so everyone Tends can start campaigning. Tends to be helpful for winning elections if you have candidates running in seats. Yes. And yeah. that's why the Liberal Party keeps just romping home to victory because they understand, you know, the real, the basics, the fundamentals of electoral politics such as have candidates. Don't let people vote. Yeah. <laughs> It's crucial. Under no yeah. circumstances let your members <laughs> vote for who represents them. <laughs> mm. Woo! Yeah! Liberalism. Yeah. I mean, it all makes Alex Hawke look pretty clever, really. So I guess sometimes <laughs> you've got to hand it to ISIS. But, yeah. 
Fantastic. Yeah. All right. So briefly in South Australia, and look, I'll be real here, South Australian listeners, we're going to forget that there's a South Australian election on on a regular basis. So I figured I should put a couple in here now, you know, sort of front loaded a little bit. So when Mm. we're like, oh, and that happened last week. So uh, we'll uh, tell you about it now. You won't feel completely neglected, but yeah, sorry about that. But um, there are two pretty funny stories about the South Australian election. Uh, one independent MP, Troy Bell, has been charged with 52 counts of deception, which netted him about $55,000. Uh, I really hope unple- that that was like a regular email he sent out once per week for the entirety of the last year. <laughs> it's pretty much that's what happened. Quick maths. Um, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he deceived multiple employees saying he was entitled to an allowance. Parliament House employees. Yeah. Um, the the case... state M- What is the point of being a state MP if you are not going to <laughs> rot the allowance system? It's literally the one thing that they all do. You're yeah. really going to go after my man Troy Bell? makes you an MP. <laughs> yeah, seriously. They don't give you your MP badge until you've until claimed at you... least $20,000 to stay in your own mortgage-free apartment. Or pay for your internet bill, yeah. Um, But his lawyers successfully requested that the actual case be delayed until after the election, which is funny. Um, Seems fair and good. That's a good strategy. I don't honestly don't know if it's better for him to try and get it out of the way now or to have it hanging over the entire election. I mean, then once he's way. elected, then he's like, oh, well, we can just, can we just wait until the next, you know, the, around the next election time? Another yeah. four years, yeah. Okay, so the other story is that a, a former Labour MP, Annabelle Digence, and her husband, Greg, uh, have just pled not guilty to blackmailing the opposition leader. <gasps> His name is uh, Peter Melanoskis. Uh, I remember to, this. Yeah, they, they blackmailed him to get pre-selected. Yeah. Um, it seems that they went to court without their lawyer... Um, and the judge, they were like, we think there's no case to be heard. And the judge was like, there is a case to be heard. So how do you plead? And they pled no case to be heard. Um, and he was like, I'm going to count that as nothing. It's not a thing. Yeah. Um, and so they, he gave them a brief recess and it seems that they called a lawyer and he came in and apologized to the judge and was like, they meant not guilty. Um, yeah. So anyway, that will go to court before the state election. Uh, I got to say, dude, I feel like we need to do more reporting on South Australian politics. Appar- apparently, every, there's literally a lot going every time we do, it's funny. It's a banger. Yeah. yeah. It's it's like it's it's black it's a blackmail case, but it's like the worst fucking blackmail you've ever heard about. It, it is. It's, it also just seems like they were like, "Give us pre-selection. Give it to us, Peter." We want the pre-selection, Peter. I, I'm trying it to remember what it was they had over him. I can't because they did. I have. We've talked about this on the show before. But yeah. anyway, if you can remember, listener, <laughs> or jog Google our it. memories. Yeah, tweet at us before Ooh. you finish listening to the episode. All right. All right. Thank you, Noon, for taking us through the machinations of God. The various section. silly electoral garbage. Uh, I guess the good thing about election season is that people like to sh- people do show their ass a lot, so should make this that's a good true. story. There's more politics going on yeah. all the time. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our last new segment then. Fashion Australia. I'm just going to talk a little bit about the Select Committee on Social Media and Online Safety, um, which is unsurprisingly a fucking clown show. Uh, so this is a committee that was set up by 
uh, the Morrison government in December last year, in around like that a time, parliamentary committee. Yes, uh, it's a lot. It's a yeah, the, a lower house committee. So it's all MPs. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, you remember that time of year, the, that brief period of last year where they were like, "We're going to go hard on big tech for a bit uh, and make that yeah. our thing." Uh, yeah, well, this is kind of like a vestige of that. So the terms of the inquiry are pretty broad. Uh, they're inquiring into, quote, the range of online harms that may be faced by Australians on social media and other online platforms, including harmful content or harmful conduct. Uh, not exactly what I would call a laser-focused statement of intent, no. but... <laughs> not <laughs> yes. bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah not I mean, look, there's, bad. you know, there's problems online, uh, so I've been told. So, you know, yeah. looking into them doesn't seem like, on the face of it, a bad idea. Uh, but this, of course, However. is the government. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. people might remember that the main headline around this committee uh, when it was being set up at the time is that it's got Craig Kelly on it, uh, who you might remember was literally fucking banned from Facebook and Instagram for COVID misinformation. The other members of the committee are pretty nondescript, uh, but it does have Dave Sharma. That's a callback to <laughs> earlier in the Dave. show when I said Dave Sharma's name. Uh, so the committee has been having public hearings for a few weeks now. Um, they got in representatives from uh, YouTube, Google, and TikTok, for example. Craig Kelly then used this as an opportunity to complain about his United Australia Party propaganda videos getting taken down. Um, because it's a fucking clown show. And then, uh, also this happened. Here's a quote from The Guardian. In the absence of Twitter from the hearing... Kelly asked representatives from industry body DIGI about a tweet related to, quote, a certain person in my electorate, calling that person, quote, a massive fuckhead. Kelly said it was false and defamatory <laughs> and said it was a, quote, massive failure. The tweet was allowed to be posted and had been up for three days. Oh, a tweet shit. matching the date of posting, the number of likes and retweets mentioned, was a tweet about Kelly. I love it. So he's like, somebody has called well, somebody in my electorate a massive fuckhead, uh, and this is unacceptable. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Uh, by the way, well, this who else was it going to be? Yeah. <laughs> There's only one fuckhead in Hughes. I mean, if you've called, I know a fuckhead, and he <laughs> from the from the seat of Hughes. There's only one person who comes to mind. Yep. Uh, so this week. There's been a little bit of chat because there have been some interesting witnesses called to give testimony. Ooh. For example. Family Voice, a conservative uh, Christian organization who are anti-same-sex marriage and award their own leaders Father's Day Photography of the Year photographs. Yeah. yeah. Nothing gets chocolate out, see? <laughs> yeah. Here's a tweet from Evie uh, from uh, our good friends over at uh, Not Good Enough, who has been invited to attend the public hearings for the inquiry into social media and online safety conservative anti-abortion and anti-sex ed groups, anti-sex worker groups, the owner of a dating app specifically designed to clock non-cis women upon registration, who hasn't been invited? Almost anyone else. Cool. There's a reply to this tweet from Electric Frontiers Australia, which is like a, a digital safety advocacy organization. <laughs> they said, we didn't make a, a submission to this specific inquiry because we've already made submissions uh -huh. to all the other inquiries That's about so the same sad. topic for years. Yes. <laughs> Like the Online Safety Act that this inquiry appears That's not fuck, to be aware EFA of. That's are like uh, so yeah. uh, a non-profit group specifically dedicated to advocating around this. That would be like an environmental yes. org being like, oh, obviously we're not going to try and talk to the government about the environment. 
there would be no point. Because it'd be a complete fucking waste of time. Yeah, yeah, isn't that so depressing? And it tells you so much about the nature of this uh, this inquiry. But it's also like... Yeah, Digital Rights Watch Australia also not giving evidence. Like You know, this is fucked. And I'm looking forward to hearing all of the additional deeply cooked things about this inquiry. But, it, you know, I was saying before about, you know, that they didn't... They, they specifically went against the two recommendations about the flag copyright. On some level, that gives me a small mm. amount of hope that even if this produces some terrible recommendations, they won't be implemented because the system's deeply broken. Um, so, you know, mm. it, it, that's It would be really great if it worked that uh, way, Noon. But it just, oh, it just doesn't. Bad they ignore good Let's recommendations. <laughs> bad ones get enthusiastically yeah. implemented. Yeah. Unfortunately, that is the nature. Um, and I... Just going to return to something that okay. Evie mentioned there, which you may have caught. The owner of a dating app specifically designed to clock non cis yeah. women upon registration. Yeah, we need to talk about Giggle. So, Giggle is an app which is a social media platform just for women, mm-hmm. according to its Australian creator, a woman named Sal Grover. Uh, and she also says that Giggle is the collective noun for a group of girls. Uh, And if you're sensing some kind of weird gender essentialism here, Mm -hmm. you'd be right. So, how do you make a social media app only for girls? Well, Giggle's answer to that question is, quote, biometric gender verification software. Yeah, which already sounds super chill. Yeah, I love biometric everything. Like, when have biometrics ever resulted (laughs) in (laughs) negative outcomes? So... Basically, how it works is you take a selfie, and then the app decides, based on that selfie, whether okay. you're a woman or not. Good. And um, would it surprise you, Noon, to learn that the AI repeatedly rejects women of color and trans women? No, it wouldn't. No. No, no. Mm-hmm. Would it surprise you that Sal Grover, creator of the app, is a full-blown, full-blown transphobe? I'm shocked. Yeah, it's not, it's not that shocking. Um, I don't need to read out any of the transphobic shit that Sal uh-huh. Grover has tweeted, but it's a lot of the same fucking horrible, bigoted garbage yep. that you would expect. The other side of this giggle story is that the app is basically, it's famous for its terrible security. Here's a quote from an article from Digital Interruption, which is, which is a cybersecurity okay. consultancy firm. The TLDR is that Giggle has been exposing users, phone numbers, private images, and location to the world. Normally, we wouldn't post a vulnerability like this so soon after discovering it, but the owner of the app (laughs) refuses to listen to us and continuously claims no vulnerability exists. We tried to get in contact with her via a third party after we had been blocked to let her read this post before publishing it, but again, she showed no interest. So... Just, you know, for the sake of disclosure, apparently this vulnerability that they're, that they're talking about has now been fixed. But wow, god damn. Like, this is a fucking inquiry into online safety. Yeah, yeah, safety. yeah. Which is more unsafe? Um, people who don't pass an AI gender, like, checkpoint? Or, like, giving away <laughs> private information and images? Like... Hmm, I wonder which of these could actually cause material harm. Like Sally Grover's managed to do both. 
active like <laughs> actively materially reduce users' privacy, but also cause harm to people by being racist and transphobic via her app online. And this is the kind of person who is giving evidence to this inquiry. So yeah, you know, we when we've talked about the Online Safety Act, which by the way is coming into effect this yeah. week, you know, we've spoken about a few different Mm-hmm. Uh, angles on that legislation and the various problems with it and but trying to kind of balance against that the fact that on you know that online spaces can be really really harmful to vulnerable people things like you know re- revenge porn absolutely need to be dealt with you know that the people's mental health can be seriously seriously impacted by you know by bigoted bullying and and you know we're all like everybody's familiar with this and so again it's like in this general broad sense it's not necessarily a bad thing for the government to try it's and just do they something about this to do the worst possible thing to deal with any kind the of worst issue. possible yeah. thing and it's not just that like they take a bad approach in response to this issue they use it as a trojan horse to shoehorn in all these other kind of right, unrelated right bullshit that they want to get into the conversation so they invite people like family voice noted fucking organized homophobes to come and speak at uh at a at an inquiry about online safety like it's just it's just, it's a complete circus anyway uh that's my analysis <laughs> as you put it yeah. <laughs> that's uh, yeah uh those clowns in congress have done it again what a bunch of clowns what? how do you keep up with the news like that uh, hours of research every week. <laughs> that was a, a, an idea that I had for the election section sting, but it's a bit obscure. Like, not that election-y. Anyway. Cool. Oh, well. Thanks for telling us about that terrible story, Zach. That's uh, okay. Uh, I didn't actually write down when the results of those that inquiry is supposed to be handed down, but um, I'll check in on it if and when it happens. Good okay. If you want a podcast, you gotta do a lot of shit. That's not technically podcasting. You still gotta do that shit. Rate us on Spotify. You can do that now. Go to the Spotify app, give us five stars. I know that Neil Young booted it because Joe Rogan is doing COVID misinformation and more power to Neil Young, but... Good on him. I, I don't... Yeah. I don't think we can afford to not be on any platforms at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when we're big enough that us leaving will, you know, potentially influence anything... I mean, I don't even know if Neil Young is big enough. But anyway, you can you can rate well, us on clearly Spotify. Not. No, they've been taking him down. Uh, and we'd also appreciate it if you could rate us and especially review us over on yes. uh, Apple Podcasts. Because even though that one star review calling us uh, elitist swine that we got last week was very entertaining, deeply amusing. Uh, yeah, I'd prefer it's actually quite bad. Yeah, I'd pre- for the algorithm. <laughs> but I'd prefer the most recent review to be a positive one. So if you've got a spare two minutes and you haven't given us a review yet over on Apple Podcasts. We'd love for that. Um, otherwise, you can follow our socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And you can also do, give us money over on patreon.com forward slash Snackpod, And uh, you can sign up for as little as $1 a month. You get a monthly bonus episode, access to the Discord. And uh, up at $13.12 a month, you get a limited hey. edition Snackpod Toasty Boy pin, which I will definitely send to you in the mail. And not if forget about for the- months. Yeah. That you haven't got it yet. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, all right. Is that, is that it? for the? I think so. I think that's all about things. All right, great. 
Now it's time for our pop games. Nice. It's nice to get that little cameo from Joe doing that howl every week. Uh, I'm glad yeah. I hassled you to put that in. Yeah. We need to get Joe back on the show. Yeah. I'm putting that on what my to-do list. Shout outs, Joe, and Chronically Fully Sick. What's up with Dante? Uh, Dante had a friend come round today. Ooh. Uh, the friend's name was Pig. Pig is a dog. Uh, some kind of spaniel? I'm not very good with dog names. Anyway, Dante has a regular... Uh, Walker who comes and walks him once a week and she just got a dog of her own, Pig, who is pretty young, like adolescent sort of short hair spaniel puppy as far as I can tell and just incredibly, insanely filled with beans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Dante is a bit touch and go when it comes to other dogs but Mm -hmm. he and Pig really get along great and it was funny Pig came over today and they basically, Pig and Dante like wrestled and ran all around the living room and fucked up the carpet and the couch right. and ran in and out of the, of the dining room and had lots of fun for, like, about 90 seconds. And then Dante was like, ooh, woo. That's me and done. Yeah, he's really, like, he's fully transitioning into middle age now. Like, because, right. like, how Pig was behaving really reminded me of Dante four Two years ago, who yeah, was like, ago. yeah, at, like, you know, you basically couldn't stop him. Like, he would just yep. go, go, and go. And now he's like... Oh boy! Wowee! Uh, but then they went out and had a walk together, and apparently it was very nice. And um, right. it's always pleasant to see Dante getting a little bit of socialization because yeah. it's not always practical for it's him. It's not always doable. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's a, it's always a that's pleasure awesome, when man. it works out. That's lovely. Yeah. 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 That's definitely like one of my favorite things that happens with Bagel. But yeah, it is it is quite difficult to organize. You got to have the right person. They've got to have the right dog, and then everything needs to go perfectly <laughs> uh, so like, yeah. there's quite a yeah. few moving parts yeah. yeah yeah uh with bagel i mean it's been a bit cooler and stormy the last you know 24 hours or so um but it's been stinking hot in melbourne the last week and a half or something yeah, and so my bagel week has been a week of intensive heat management basically um mm. so i i mentioned i think uh bonus i'm not sure mentioned that he's got a, a blue shell pool which i've been getting him more comfortable with he's even thinks about sitting down in it sometimes which is Ooh. good because yeah um, he doesn't like his booty getting wet but he's, yeah, he's getting better <laughs> getting all four paws in pretty regularly and adorably slurping up his streets um lots of frozen gross shit frozen chicken frozen cones mm. full of like peanut butter and water and uh like treats and shit disgusting but he loves it um <laughs> and hanging out in the other shed which is our like you know not my room but our actual crap shack um that uh, has like extremely dodgy stone floors um that are not good for humans like, really but good yeah. for lying on if you're a dog if you're really hot yeah that so, full um, body contact oh yeah it, it, it's good because you know bagel's like <laughs> constantly for you know a week mm. and i'm like oh god are you like on the brink of death but you know yeah. then w- when he's on the stone floor and he gets up and i pat him his tum is all like icy cool and i'm like okay this is probably helping him. that's very yeah. cute anyway yeah i do have to periodically sort of check that dante hasn't just fucking passed out forgotten to drink for yeah six hours and i'll, yeah. I'll realize that i won't that i haven't seen him for a couple of hours yeah because he's <laughs> always now finding is like he's lying down in places that he normally never would trying to you know desperately trying Get to find cool. the coolest so it was like in the darkest, dankest corners of the house. Staying perfectly still. Yeah. And he's black. And our floors are black. And he's just like curled up in a ball. And like, hey, that guy hasn't irritated me for like 
two hours. What's going on? Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like you've got a dog sense that starts tingling when <laughs> you haven't been inter- interrupted for, for like yeah, yeah <laughs> for fifteen minutes. Like what's going on? Wait. <laughs> it's quiet. Almost too quiet. It's what? No noise. Quiet. It suggests <laughs> no boys. <Yeah. laughs> All right. That's us. That, that's us. We're done. Uh, <sighs> Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Bit of a bumper one this week. Uh, we'll catch you next week for more news and more views. But uh, before then, uh, keep on snacking in the free world. That's a fucking Neil Young reference as well. Yeah. So there you go. Keep crunch, on snacking the free world. <laughs>